Hi everyone, my name is Claire Sauer and welcome to our podcast, The Business of Business, where I meet with amazing Keelians from across the companies to explore their superpowers. Each episode, I will be talking with a different guest and we will discuss that person's main area of expertise and how they got to where they are today. And don't worry, I'm not afraid to ask the hard-hitting questions and really dig into their passions and talents. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of The Business of Business. Today, I'm joined by the famous Safety Ray. Hi, Safety Ray. I don't know Ray. about famous. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just dive right in. Um, I'd love to talk about, you know, where you started, how you found your passion for safety and risk management, and, you know, what you're excited about for the future at Keeley Companies. Um, so first... How did you find your passion for safety and risk management? I found, I, I was a policeman um, back in the 70s, and my family was always really geared towards service. You know, my youngest brother is a priest, and you know, all of my, I came from a family of 11, and we had, um, the, you know, every one of us kind of grew into being some, in some way, shape, or form, um, kind of in a service capacity. My sister's a nurse. My older sister's a, you know, she teach, spe- taught special school district. They're all retired now. And uh, my mom was a nurse, you know. And so that kind of ran in our family. And when I went to college after being on the police department, you know, I, I, I kind of wandered around and then I kind of found the School of Public Services at uh, what it was Central Missouri State University. It's University of Central Missouri now. And I got into, I learned about occupational safety and health. And back then, that was back in, what, 1977, 78. And OSHA had just come into being in, in 1970. Um, and so there was this new field of growth that uh, it opened up just a whole different opportunity in the workplace for me. You know, I never was a big mathematician. I never was a big finance guy. I couldn't stand accounting. And um, and this just kind of fit. That's what I did. So that's and then um, it was you know and, and so I got got graduated in 1980 and then I went to work and that back then the, the economy was just horrible and um, so I wound up taking my first job as a commercial property and casualty underwriter with what was then called the Fireman's Fund and. Um, that was where everybody in the insurance company wanted to end up. It's the last place I wanted to end up. I wanted to be in the, on the loss control or the safety end of it. And so I, I just had this, this thing that that's what I wanted to do. I, and, you know, so finally in, um, I guess it was probably June of 1981 or 82, I landed a, a position with a company called Western Waterproofing, which was a, a company here in St. Louis. They're now called the Western Construction Group. Great outfit, great group of people. A lot, a lot like Keeley. I mean, in the, in their their growth period back then, there was a lot of parallels. But I had this really, really great boss who really kind of instilled in me the passion for keeping people safe. Because Bob Pritchard was just one of the best guys in the world, and you know, and I learned from that. And again, I've and I've never done anything else after uh, after uh, the insurance company. When I got into safety, I've been in it ever since. So I'm going on what, 41, 42 years now of being involved in it, so. That's awesome. Well, since you've, you know, you started as a police officer and now you're the senior vice president of risk management for the Keeley Companies. I'm glad that you remembered that because there are a lot of people who don't remember that. Thank you, Ray. I can never <laughs> forget. 
Um, can you just tell us about some of the other various roles you've held over the years? One of my favorite stories that you always tell is your time at the X Games. Mm -hmm. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I've always believed about any job that I have, it, it, it's to really have fun with it, right? And the minute that it quits being fun is the minute you need to go find something else. And so when I was in my career and back in uh, about 1988, I was in graduate school and we had, and I was traveling almost 90% of the time and Terry and I had had Kevin and, and Amy and they were just babies at the time. And, uh, you know, mama came to me one day sitting at the kids' table said, you got to stop this. You got to be home. And it made a lot of sense, right? Cause it wasn't fair to them. So, um, I wound up kind of moving from position to position and, it, and I started at St. Louis Children's Hospital as the safety director, and then I moved on to Travelers Insurance Company as a senior loss control rep, and then I wound up at Insurance Brokers House, which is when I started my own business. But at the time, I met this guy that was in at, at Travelers that his job was to do the loss control work for ski resorts. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. I mean, that, that's it. It just kind of summed it up because I always loved sports. Right. Never was any good at it, but I always wanted to be involved in it in one form or another. And um, I had that opportunity in 92 when we did the Olympic Festival here in St. Louis. And a guy by the name of Jack Wiener, who was in, the executive director at the St. Louis Sports Commission at the time, wound up taking a position with, with ESPN in 1993, I believe, that was... Um, uh, that was putting together the, the, the director, vice president, whatever you want to call it, of what then was called the Extreme Games. And Jack, during my time with Jack, you know, it's one of my favorite stories in the world is when um, in 1991, I believe, and again, my dates are kind of messed up on this, Jack was in San Antonio for the, the Olympic Festival down there. And there was a, a team member that fell through a guardrail system and wound up becoming a quadriplegic. Mm. And he swore that he would never have that happen on his watch. So when he came back and he's getting the organization together, one of the things that he wanted was a safety guy. And I had a friend who wrote the insurance for, kind of, uh, um, who wrote the insurance for the U.S., for, for, I'm sorry, for the St. Louis Sports Commission, which was putting on um, the, um, the Olympic Festival. And Jack was running it. Pat got me, he, he said, I know this guy. I kind of grew up with Pat and the Cantwell family. But um, so he brings me in to Jack Wiener on a October on a Saturday morning. I had 15 minutes to talk to him and it wound up lasting about three and a half hours. Oh, wow. And at the end of it, Jack said, dot line him straight to me, give him all the access that he needs. We had 42 venues, we had zero injuries. Wow. Um, and it was one of the more profitable, if not one of the last Olympic festivals um, that were ever conducted. Well, Jack went to ESPN in August of that year, and he said that he would take all of us along with him. And so I went into business for myself um, in March, because I, again, remember what I said about being happy, and I was miserable where I was at. And so I jumped ship and started my own business, and, um, and I basically became kind of the safety director at ESPN. I mean, I wow. kind of operated in a lot of their different windows, but for the most part, it was all X game driven. And in, in, um, as the X games progressed there, you know, we had summer, we had winter, we were moving from city to city. And, um, in, in, in along the way I got involved with Red Bull, 
where I did, and again, it was really large event management is what it was. And the thing about it was, is that, you know, it's the people that makes it so fantastic. And I can't tell you, I don't think that we had any injuries in the 15 years that, that we were involved in it. And I think that that has a lot to do with people understanding that they're empowered to make decisions um, and that it's an educational process across the spectrum. You know, a lot of people think of, of, of those guys as, but we, as roadies. And what we would do is that our kind of nucleus group was about 15 to 20 people all year long. And then when you get into event mode, usually about 30 days out, you really start escalating the number of people that are doing work on site. And so we go from 25 people up to, what, 1,500, and then back down to 25 in a period of about 40 days. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and it was it was really a lot of fun. And Red Bull was the same thing as this. That again, it's all large event stuff. And, you know, the, the one thing is that the risk really never changes and things like that right. because it's all build. It's go in, you build the venue, conduct the event, and tear the venue out. And so a lot of different controls um, in that. And then the one kind of neat piece of that was as a result of being involved with Red Bull, I got involved with Food and Wine Magazine. And that was one of the nice ones. I got to do the, <laughs> the wine tasting classics in Aspen and then in, in, the dream. in, in South Beach. So I'd go to Aspen for the X Games in January, I'd be there for 30 days, and then I'd come home, and two weeks later, I'd spend two weeks down in South Beach. Oh, that's And then I'd awesome. spend the month of June in, in uh, Aspen again. So, But I traveled the world, uh, and, I, you know, again, it, you always look back, and you, you kind of remember the fun parts, right? But we worked hard. You know, 16, 18-hour days were not unusual. Yeah. Um, and it was like, give me more, give me more. Um, so it was, a, and again, the opportunity to see, you know, coming from a large family, we never traveled a lot. And when I took the job with Western, I never forget the the ad that was in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch and the one ads, which most people don't even know what they are anymore, was this, it said safety inspector, 80% travel company car. And then there was a phone number. And I was like, that's got my name written all over it. <laughs> and, and, and believe me, I mean, I've been to every major city and probably most small towns across this country at one point or another. And then you know, I've been to all the continents. I've been to places that people probably only dream of getting to. And yeah. I mean, I can list them, you know, Kuala Lumpur. Whoever think that I'd be able to go to Kuala Lumpur? You know, Shanghai. We've been to Seoul. We've been to Dubai. We've been to, uh, oh gosh, uh, Rio de Janeiro, Mexico City. You know, so there's, you know, just Windsor, Canada, just a, just such great opportunity. And it and really it goes back to what I said before. It's all about people. It yeah. really is. And they just were the greatest. And, and, and it's the same thing that you see here is, is that I think that a lot of our success from the Keeley standpoint and, and just the amount of growth that we've seen and the amount of successful growth that, you know, it's not one person that does that. You know, that's a collective mindset of people moving forward. Absolutely. And, you know, so. So is there anywhere on your bucket list that you haven't crossed off yet with all your travels? Um, there's a couple. Um, one of the things that, that I want to do is is go spend a month somewhere and Love never that. have to do anything. <laughs> and so Terry and I, next January, um, I'm going to kind of take a step back in January and kind of go into retirement mode. And we're going to go. We already got the place. We got a house down in Naples that we're going to go spend a month at. Which we've never done before. Race house in Naples. Yeah, come on down. <laughs> it's going to be right next to a golf course. I got three bedrooms, and it's. It, I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, I it, it's. You, you know, when I talk what? about bucket lists and things that I'd want to 
kick off my bucket list. I, you know, I've been, I've been, I've traveled so much that, that there's really no place that I, that I want to go, you know, and I mean, we've just went, just the opportunities that I've had in my life to, to get out and see the world is it's, um, it, it's just that, that is the bucket, right? And, you know, so it, 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 what, I don't know, I guess that if I had to pick a, a list of something to do, it would really be to spend a lot of time with people that I haven't spent a lot of time with. I and, love that. You know, my kids, um, you know, they're grown. The grandkids, obviously, we spend as much time as we can. But there's friends that, that I've had over the years that, you, you know, you kind of drift away because not, you know, because of time and because of all the, the, the things, you know, those, those isms, those, those, what do we call them? Um, um, it's not distractions. There's a word for it. When 5G, it was the the, the whirlwinds that oh. you always get, and and you know, and all that outside stuff. And you know, before you know it, you're 65 years old and looking at retirement. I mean, I, I gotta admit to you, uh, Claire, that I can't tell you that I've not that I've never not had fun doing this. It's been stressful. There's been really sad times. Oh, I'm sure. And there's been some really great challenges, and but. I wouldn't change my life for anything. So over your career, what would you say is the proudest accomplishment you've had and then the biggest lesson that you've learned? Well, the, the proudest accomplishment that I ever had was meeting my bride, was Marion Terry, um, by far. I mean, she's been the, um, I mean, she's been rock steady. And I am not the easiest guy. I may seem like <laughs> it, but I am not the easiest guy in the world to live with. Um, and then, you know, from a, the per, from a personal standpoint, it's, it's, raising a family I mean by far there's just nothing better my kids are all you know on their way to being successful and you know I got two of the greatest grandkids in the world hoping to have more so I, if from a personal standpoint I think that that would be that I think from a professional standpoint there's a couple of major accomplishments that I'm really proud of number one was just graduating from college um, it was something that my dad instilled in me when when because I remember when I was in high school, and that was the last place I wanted to be, was to just go to college. And, you know, my dad was the one that kind of put pull, pulled me aside and said, you know, you can do anything you want, but you're going to do it a whole lot better with an education. And and I didn't go. You know, it took me a while. I went on to the police department and meandered around, and, and it, it became clear pretty quick that if I was going to do what I wanted to do, then I needed to get an education. I didn't know what that was at the time. Right. You know, and then the second thing would be going to graduate school and finishing graduate school. And then the third thing was was really coming to work here, was taking the job of, of being the risk manager. Because it, I had been working with the Keeley family since about 1992. In fact, that was when Tracy, uh, Mike Rapinski's wife, Tracy is Rusty's sister. And she attended an OSHA 30-hour class that we used to put on for COCA, which is the Council of Owners and Construction Associates of Illinois. And... Dan Magruder was the executive director at the time, and Tracy came into class, and we've been friends ever since. And that kind of led into, you know, knowing Larry, and yep. I never really knew too much of Rusty, except from him, you know, falling asleep at safety meetings. But he would always, <laughs> uh, you know, he was always very upfront and very straightforward. And and Mike came to me, and Larry came to me in, I think it was October of 2007. And we started talking about, you know, that they adopted strategic planning. They needed to get a guy that knew about safety, but also a little bit about insurance and, and really could, could take it and run with it from both sides of the house. 
and because we had ADB at the time and Keeley, and I'll never forget telling Mike that because at the time my business was doing fine, right? I mean, yeah. I was having fun, and I went home and told Terry that they offered me the job, and that you know I was going to help them find somebody, and she'd like to hit me in the head with two by four. I mean, it was like, are you an <laughs> idiot? And so that decision, after a lot of discussion with her, and then talking with Mike, it really became pretty easy to make the choice. Um, and I don't regret that at all. I mean, I'll tell you that this is the hardest place you'll ever love to work. And it's, um, you know, there's the challenges, but man, I'm going to tell you is, is it, it, it's not the same company it was in 2008 and 2000. Hell, it's not the same company it was in 1992. And we've really just really picked up a lot of great people. And there's a lot of people that were, that are, you know, good people that just couldn't do this work. Mm-hmm. And you're going to find that, I think, anywhere that you go. But, you know, the, this company is, is, and I, you know, I always told Rusty when I first started, and I told him this every day, is my job is I don't care about making money. I mean, that, that's a death knell. You know, they call that a CLM, a career-limiting move, when you say things like that. But if I, my job is to get our people home. That's my job. Yep. And you can't let things get in the way of being able to do that. And you know, call it pro-life, call it whatever you want. And it's just that the fact that these, everybody here deserves the right to be safe. And I, I don't challenge that. I mean, we're going to do whatever we have to do to make sure that you're going to get home. Right. And it's the small things. I never backed into a parking space before I worked here. Yeah, well. And now I back in everywhere. It's an interesting, you ever know how that came about, don't you? No. Did you ever hear the story? No. Well, when I first started here, we were running into our own cars more than we were running into anybody else's. And we were backing in, and I could, and it was like we had this rash, and it was over in Sage. And when, if you ever saw the, the parking lot, if you ever see the parking, it's really small, yeah, right? It is. But back then, that was when we started. We were really starting to grow, and granted, not anywhere close to what we are today. But we had people backing into one another. You know, I think it was like five or six times in the first six months. Not nothing real serious. But I sit there talking to Rusty about it, and he's like, "Make them back in." So, and that took out, and, and you know, that is one of those, those cultural pieces that you see that for some reason it just catches on, right? Yeah. And you now, when people show up and they pull, they pull in as opposed to backing in, well, it's almost exactly like they get, they're a visitor. It, yeah, you know exactly that they don't belong here. And, you know, and, and again, it, what it did was it completely eliminated backing incidents, you know, and we don't have them. We don't have them like yeah. we used to anymore. Sure, we have an incident now and then. But I think that that just goes back to the whole concept about developing a culture is, is that people have to buy in to what you believe, right? You can't dictate that type of, of belief. I can sure, I can tell you that if you don't do it, you know, you're going to get fired or you're going to get disciplined. But that's not what culture is about. Right. I mean, culture is, is about the way that things are. And when you, the way that I kind of look at it, you know, again, I'm not an expert on it at all, but when you see that people describe our culture in two words primarily of family and safety, that to me is just an affirmation of everything that we've been trying to build since this whole thing started. Absolutely. And, you know, so I just think that it's, uh, it's an amazing, an amazing place to work. It, it, I, I would recommend this place to anybody. And then again, I wouldn't recommend it to a lot. And the reason is, is because if you're going to exist in this environment, I think that you have to have, um, 
you have to have the the desire. One hundred percent. You know, and it's 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 hard work, it's long work, it's ever challenging work, but it's kind of fun. Oh, it's a blast. Yeah. So staying on this topic of culture, I mean, Keeley Safe is world class. It's truly one of kind. And that is a testament to you and your team. But what would you say when you started at Keeley Companies, what your biggest challenge was when establishing that culture of safety here at Keeley Companies? The biggest challenge? The, and and it, 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 the biggest challenge is still the biggest challenge today. It's getting the middle management group to truly buy into the concept. And that's not saying that they're bad by any right. stretch of imagination. We have the greatest group of, of managers and whether whatever level you want to describe them at, whether and, and as well as the as the field craft. But there's it, it takes a, a lot to get a guy to understand when traditionally what they're doing is is that they're building this thing, right? And there's a lot of things that go into building this thing. And, and you know the work. What I always say is that the work isn't really hard, but it's really complex, and. It's really tough for a person when they start to look at the cost of doing business in dollars and cents and margin and all that versus worrying and taking safety to the level where this really isn't, and I don't want to say it's not important. What I mean is is that these two things, profit or let's say margin or quality productivity and safety have to go hand in hand. And that's really is not fully integrated because there's too many times when safety becomes an inconvenience that you move to the other two, right? And Or it's always this standalone thing that people try to bring in. My biggest challenge was to take that safety out here and to put it into the three, the three real issues of productivity, quality, and safety and have those things integrated and, and working hand in hand. And that's why, you know, again, I'm, I look at things a little different when it comes to all this is that Sometimes I really hate the word safety. And the reason that I hate it is because it, it, it turns into a standalone. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It's not a matter of putting productivity over quality or quality over safety or safety over productivity or safety over. Those are all things. They have to, to coexist. So the thing that I think is, is, is that it's really a mindset of continuous improvement. And, if you, and that is always a challenge when right. you have you know, 27,000 things that you have to get done in a day. And, and, and so it's, it's always, the challenge has always been to get the mindset thinking more in terms of process improvement, in terms of, of being able to consistently analyze, but you're analyzing all of those things simultaneously. So anyway, it's kind of tough to do, but that's always been the challenge. Makes sense. So, one of the things, how have you seen safety trends change over the years? Oh, Obviously, we've seen, everyone has seen firsthand how, you know, we've had to change how we're safe with COVID and quarantining and social distancing. But I'd love to hear from your perspective how you've seen some things change. Well, I, I think that I've seen this. And again, if you start to look at the evolution of just the whole concepts involved in safety is, is that when I first started in this business, it was OSHA. You know, and it was striving to be rule compliant and then beating people over the head for violating OSHA rules. And over the years, and, and I'll tell you that I think that, that I learned that very early when I was, and again, this is a credit to Bob Pritchard, when, 
when I first started in this business was is that he was more of a humanist and he really liked the idea and really strove the idea of continual education, empowering people to make decisions and, and working collectively toward reducing the overall risk of what we do. And that's kind of been, you know, it, my mantra. And then you started to see where companies started to move away from being a compliance-based organization, you know, to being a behavioral type of an organization, to become an learning organization. And, you know, right now we are really into a lot of, like our think tanks, for instance, is um, I think that that's absolute leading thought for, for the construction business, because I don't know anybody else that does it. Yeah. And we incorporate, you know, Conklin's human and organizational performance, human performance improvement. We use Kerry Goyette's concepts of emotional intelligence, and we bring all that together and with a cross-section of everybody that works here. And ultimately, what we want to do is to change the mindset of reacting to problems as opposed to being proactive and developing solutions. And so, you know, it, the other thing that, that I think is, is incredibly a big evolution is, is it, it used to be that you're going to blame the employee for everything. Mm -hmm. And when you started to look at behavioral-based sciences is that the behavioral-based sciences really looked at the human, um, human error mode where that, that, that it's the error that causes the problem. And it's not, it's operational. And what we've learned over the course, you know, in the last, and again, I'm, I, I think it's the most exciting thing that's happened in safety for a long time because number one is, is that I've always been a firm believer that people are gonna fail. We're gonna have errors. The question is how big is it? Mm -hmm. And when you start to look at designing systems is that, you know, it's usually there's, my opinion in all the research that we've done and even when we're we're doing incident investigations here or learning events here is is that it's uh there's about five uh, organizational precursors to the human error and the human error is always kind of that end result and understanding how as an organization we have to be very proactive in building systems that are tolerant of error and violation and so using things like the safety champions, which is another thing that we've created. Everybody's had safety committees and people have had safety champions, but I don't think that they use them to the extent that we do. Now we're using them to problem solve. And so these safety champions now uh, under kind of the, not an, I don't want to call it the direction, but in association with one of the safety professionals that are assigned to each one of the, op uh, the operating businesses has this group of safety champions where now we're really looking in to try to do two improvement processes a year. And again, they, we still got to get out and get the work done, still got to be out in the field. But when you think about that, there's probably, what does that come out to be, um, about 30 improvement projects mm -hmm. being accomplished. And so when you do that over the course of time, and this is just with the safety group. Right. And one of the things, going back to what I said before about productivity, quality, and safety, is, is that this thought process crosses all of those lines. You can use this to, to do it, to any kind of, of learning or problem solving, you name it, this applies to it. And, and I think that that's really exciting because it's, it, it really helps to transform a company into a learning company as opposed to a company that's just trying to be compliant. So. Thank you. And then, a little long-winded. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could give a piece of advice to someone, whether they're starting their first job um, as part of a crew on a job site, you know, joining an office, because, I mean, safety is part of working in an office, too. That's something I learned really quickly when I joined the team. 
Um, but what's one piece of advice you would give to someone that, you know, maybe is coming from a job where they didn't have to think about safety in the way that we do? Well, that's a, you know, I saw that question and you wrote it down and I'm sitting there thinking, the, a piece of advice, number one is be a, a lifelong learner. I think that that's the, the one thing that I've, you know, I, I have come to believe that you can't ever not quit learning. And, and that, because if I can make you more educated, you're making better decisions. Oh, And one of sure. the things that I'll tell you, and, and again, people, I've always, one of my big isms is we train dogs and we educate people, right? Is that I can teach a monkey to move a penny, right? Or flip a switch or do whatever that is. But it takes an education to be able to analyze and, and look at your surroundings and being able to make an informed decision on what type of choice you need to make. Absolutely. And so that was what I my advice is keep going to school. You know, I, I think one of my one of my you talk about one of my proudest things that 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 I I'm most proud of over my career is the fact that all of the safety professionals that are in the field right now either have or are working toward um, a professional designation. Oh, that's awesome. And I think that there's there's I think that there's only two guys. Not only two people, two safety professionals that have not attained the professional designation that's recognized by the American Society of Safety Professionals. And my big, again, continually learning, I drive my team that they have to become subject matter experts and doesn't matter what it is. Our responsibility to our guys in the field is to be able to provide them answers and solutions. And so we need to be very well rounded, if you will, in that knowledge base about what's the next new blue thing coming up that we need to become experts in. And I think that, that I, I'm really, really proud of my team because they all have bought into it. So That's great. And then what are you most excited about for the future, for yourself, for Keeley Companies? Um, for myself, retiring. <laughs> I am incredibly excited about that. It's not that I'm going to go away, but my I, I am excited. I'm excited because... You know, I've been working since I was 12, and am I burned out? It's no, but I, I'm really looking forward to this next aspect of my life. Yeah. Um, spend some time with my bride. You know, we want to travel. We want to go do stuff and, you know, spend time with the grandkids, but I still want to keep my hand in it, and I have every intention of doing that. I, I love the educational aspect of it. I think that if I, you know, looking forward, I want to be involved in that. And, and, and then helping the entire company is to get to where they want to be. You know, it, we're going to be a billion-dollar company. And Heck I yeah, can tell you that we're going to be bigger than a billion-dollar company. It's just if, if, as long as we stay on the, you know, on the road that we're going and we're honest with ourselves and, and again, continually learn, there's just nothing that's going to stop us. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Safety Ray. I really appreciate Claire, it. Claire, anytime. <laughs>